What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the My Mike and I podcast. I am Noah Alvarez, episode 141, and the day I'm recording this is January 28th. So you're probably listening on to this on January 29th or any date thereafter. Um, but yeah, before we get into this week's guest, I did want to thank Generic Sports for producing the instrumental playing in the background. Check out more of his work on SoundCloud, Bandcamp, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search up Generic Sports and Shout out to my man Vince Correa for designing the My Mike and I logo that you are seeing in your screen. Also helps out a ton too with the graphics that go into the My Mike and I Instagram page. Go follow that at my period Mike and period I at my period Mike and period I. I also post some video and audio snippets on there to interact with the listeners and the fans. Sometimes put some polls. And I got some stickers. All right. So if you just want some stickers, be sure to reach out to me on that platform or on Twitter at underscore Noah Alvarez. Did also want to thank True100Radio.com for putting us on their platform. And if you're interested in being a part of True 100 Radio, having your own podcast, or let's say you're a photo photographer, I almost said photo- photographer, <laughs> photographer, videographer, or someone that likes to get into the marketing aspect, if you have any interest as far as being with podcast radio type of personalities, be sure to hit me up or hit Jamal up or hit any one of us at true100radio.com. Spelled T-R-U, the number one, and 100radio.com. Now, we can get into this week's guest. Episode 141. Can I get a drum roll, please? This week's guest is none other than Stu Van Aresdale. Now, Stu is a professor at Sacramento State. He's also the staff advisor for the State Hornet, which is the student-run newspaper. He was a professor of mine. He was also you know, there at the Hornet when I was there, too, attending college. He's someone I admire a lot. He taught me a lot about how I ask questions, how to be a proper journalist, the, the ethics of everything, too. Someone that I'm really honored to have on the show, so really grateful to have him on as a guest. We talk about his upbringing, how he chose Sacramento State, um, basically his journalism career, his love for movies, and a bunch more. So without further ado, hope you enjoy the conversation between Stu Van Aresdale and myself. So again, really wanted to thank you for being on the show and taking the time out of your day to be a guest. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to ask you, growing up, you grew up in Sacramento, what were some of your interests as a child going through elementary, middle school, and before high school? Um, my preeminent interest when I was a kid was movies. I really, really wanted to work in movies. And whether it's a filmmaker or a writer, you know, something like that, I just was always really obsessed with that. And I realized fairly early on that I was going to have to go to film school to do something like that. So I applied to film schools. I really wanted to go to New York University, but my family was reluctant to entrust me to that kind of opportunity or that kind of experience, you know, or to like relinquish me to that uh, mm-hmm. when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. So um, they said, what about a film school in California? And so uh, I went to a film school in California that wasn't really somewhere I wanted to be. Um, and I went there for one year and I just, I bounced, uh, when I back to Sacramento, uh, I had to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And I was really into music at that point. I was playing a lot of music, playing in bands and like, you know, writing Mm. songs and that kind of thing. I was kind of transitioning into direction. So I spent actually a fair bit of time doing that probably the next, you know, four or five years really uh, immersed in music and playing in bands and touring and making records and that kind of thing. Mm. And so that 
awesome. And then at a certain point I decided, in fact, I can tell you exactly what happened was nine 11 happened. And, Ooh. um, yeah, I woke up, I had just actually, um, I'm not married at the time I was relatively newly married and weirdly we went to New York city on our honeymoon. And mm. so we got to see the world trade center like a before it was destroyed. Wow. And so walking up through lower Manhattan and then into um, like Greenwich village, you'd see New York university, you'd see those banners and everything. I was like, man, I remember New York city. I really wanted to go there. And so I finally realized after nine 11, it's like, I gotta do something with my life. First of all. <laughs> and second of all, like, I remember NYU, like that always sounded really good, but I knew I couldn't just make the leap into New York, like at age 24 or whatever I was 25. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, I better go back to school. And then I, um, looked for different types of made different types of courses of study I could undertake. And, um, I knew I, w I enjoyed writing. I was good at writing. It seemed like the kind of thing I could probably make money at. Um, I didn't know how much, but I could make a living out of it. And I would have to go get a degree in that. And journalism was the only thing they offered in Sacramento that mm -hmm. got me to that, in that direction. So it was really just kind of a fluke something I chose because I could get a major in it. Yeah. And, and, you know, at Sac State and then, you know, start at ARC, you know, American River College here in Sacramento, you know, JC, and then get the general education stuff kind of out of the way, or at least, you know, mostly out of the way, move to Sac State and then spend two years there and then transfer to New York University for right. graduate school. That was the plan. And that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> like nice. there was, there was no, there was no hesitation there was no uh you know second guessing like it was always the goal was to move to new york city in, in the fall of 2004 and get and start my master's and that's exactly what i did um and it all was because of 9 11 because i realized i need to do something with my life i need mm -hmm. to actually um you know what we think what we take for granted right just is so ephemeral it can vanish at any time yeah. and so we really have to move on our opportunities and our instincts and our wishes and our wants when those opportunities arise and um, not wait. So that, that was, that's kind of the, the, the story, you know, and then I can tell you what happened after that, but uh, the bottom line is I, I, I started in as a kid wanting to do movies and I wound up being a journalist movies. And, yeah. then, and, and since then I haven't really, um, since I got back to Sacramento, I haven't really been too uh, close to movies at all, but I, now I teach journalism, which is also part of the big picture I wanted to do too. Mm -hmm. But I think that was like something that fueled me too, as far as getting into journalism. I love sports going up and I felt like, you know, at a certain point you realize, okay, I can't make it professionally in any of these sports. What's some of the next best things that you could do? And then I found journalism through my community college as well down here. And I was like, oh, that actually sounds pretty fun. And, you know, the whole communications and learning a, the different jobs and careers that you can have. And I always thought people like Al Michaels and Vince Scully, they were just doing it like for volunteer. Like I, I didn't really know they got paid until later when I was in college. I was like, Oh wow. Like you can make money off of this. Like that's so cool. And they make and, good uh, money. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, once I kind of found that lane, I was like, Oh, that's something I want to set my eyes on. And uh, I think very similarly, like, you know, how you reacted to nine 11. I think a lot of people of my generation kind of react the same way with the coronavirus and the pandemic hitting last March. I know a lot of friends that have been wanting to start websites or podcasts or just even other things like color clothing brands or all kinds of like their own entrepreneur stuff. But I've always been putting it off for a better time or for a, you know, for the right moment. 
And I think a lot of times, or at least that pandemic, and at least the beginning in March, we had so much time to ourselves. It really kind of thrusted people to take that chance to get creative, to think outside the box and really take the initiative to start these things. Um, even myself, you know, I had this podcast before, but, you know, a few friends had asked me to be a part of different podcasts or help them start a, a website or help them start a podcast network. So I'm a part of different projects now that I had always envisioned myself doing, but never really took initiative to start it. But, you know, with the time off and then, you know, just, you know, thinking about a lot of different things, it was cool to see not only myself, but a lot of people of the generation kind of take initiative and kind of pursue what they've always been wanting to do in a little bit. That's a really interesting point, Noah. I think we will have an interesting like five to 10 years down the line. We'll look back and we'll say, we'll look at the people who are successful then people your age, your generation, your cohort, we'll look and see like who has the most prominent profile, who has achieved at certain, you know, high levels. And we'll say, where did they get their start? And I would bet that the majority of them will have gotten their start in this kind of year, this weird kind of mm -hmm. year where everyone is in their kind of cocoon um, and having to make adjustments on the fly. Um, in many cases, living under circumstances that are very dire, right. uh, economic, and social circumstances. And so they're finding ways to not only survive just, you know, day to day, but they're also finding ways to grow creatively. They're finding ways to uh, be able to communicate with their communities, uh, you know, and um, make connections with their communities um, remotely, virtually, and in some cases, you know, and, um, and so that, that is a, it's weird because the situation, this pandemic is unique to all of us, but mm -hmm. that particular window of the pandemic and how it's actually influencing your cohort, like the next generation from me down, I'm like, I'm really interested just as someone who A, is interested in people and also just interested in culture and society. Like how, how is that going to play out? Mm -hmm. going to play out and, and that flintiness, that resiliency, you know, that innovation, that sense of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurialism, whatever, mm -hmm. how is that going to grow and influence um, the decade, two decades to come? How's it right. going to influence my generation? Like, how am I going to look back and say, wow, look at what Noah and, and his gang did. Like, how can I emulate something like that. It's, it's all really unique. I, I, I can't wait to see how it all plays out. I mm -hmm. wish, you know, we didn't have to have 406,000 <laughs> yeah. people die. Yeah. Uh, privilege of that. But mm -hmm. by the same token, I know that, you know, um, we are a resilient species and mm -hmm. uh, what happens years to come will just be another, you know, way of, of how humans hopefully creatively and constructively respond to crisis. And mm -hmm. that is always, I think, a net positive. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of the coronavirus and the pandemic and responding to these things, how did it affect your work as being the advisor for the State Hornet as well as being a professor on campus at Sacramento State? Well, it hasn't been good. <laughs> you know, uh, I can't, I can't say I've loved it, but there, you know, there is good and there's bad. Um, let me let me start with the, the challenges uh, first, because I want to be very clear about the context. When I say you know it's it hasn't been good, our students speaking of resiliency have just been unbelievably tough during this last year. Um, you know, last spring we had to stop everything in the middle of the semester and move to online instruction. Most of us, the vast majority of us, had never done that before. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm paid to do that. Like that's, I gotta, I gotta figure it out, you know, and that's my job. You guys aren't paid to do that. You're paying yeah. us, you know, to accommodate, uh, your, uh, to, to meet you at, at where you're at and, and to help you understand the, these, these bigger topics and, and, and think about them, you know, so we had, we had a big responsibility. I think last year's cohort last spring, that was a unique group of students. They were really, really really talented. The chief of the state horn at that time, Margarita Beal, she just kind of put on this leadership, this like, I don't know, leadership booster pack. I don't know, man. She just like <laughs> zoomed, uh, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> she, she really just like, she really, um, I think elevated her game to a level that her peers could uh, emulate and follow and, and, and look to, and it made everyone better at mm-hmm. a time when, you know, what we all needed was inspiration. And she led that charge. I'm really proud of her and the team that she worked with. And I wish I could take some credit for it. I just basically, you know, I just make sure no one walks into open manholes, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, as this year goes, you know, we've all learned from the, the end of last spring, you know, uh, we, this, we had the summer to kind of regroup and figure out where things were going. Um, I still on the state Hornet, um, the current editor in chief, Max Connor is another really, really talented leader. And so he's got a, a, a big challenge, you know, he's got a, he's got a, um, follow Margarita's act. And then he's also got to, um, you know, build this whole infrastructure and lead this team that is entire that's on entirely online. Like a lot of these students had never met each other. Yeah. They've never actually, they've never even been in the newsroom together. Wow. So you remember from being on the state Hornet, like we have the class session and how important it was Yeah, to have that FaceTime with your editors and um, have time with, with me too. You know, that's, we can bounce ideas off each other and ask questions and have discussions. That was all really important. So Max right. has done a really good job of trying to get people to, um, you know, stay focused and collaborative and positive and constructive in this format. And mm-hmm. I've just tried to, we just finished our orientation today, our or- editor's orientation for spring. I feel really confident. It's really the best I've felt about um, a, a team, like an orient- orientation, like an mm-hmm. editorial team in a long, long time, mm-hmm. you know? And so as an advisor, you know, for your listeners who aren't familiar with what an advisor does, I maybe should have started with this you know, the state Hornets, the student news organization of, of Sacramento state. And, um, it used to be a student newspaper. Now it's strictly online. It's entirely online. So we have, you know, the state Hornet, we have statehornet.com, the podcast, we have the videos, you know, a broadcast team. Uh, we have audience engagement. There's a PR marketing element to it. And so, you know, we have 61 people on staff this semester. Now you're, mm-hmm. when you're on staff, there were maybe like 25, 30 people. Yeah. It, was, it was a good size team, but we have double that now Wow, you know? mm-hmm. because it's so good. You know, the state mm-hmm. Hornet is so good. And as an advisor, I teach us that's associated with the state Hornet, but I also um, just kind of make sure that students have the support they need instructionally, uh, journalistically, technically, like I help them with everything from, you know, lead on a story to how to, you know, kind of edit a podcast, mm-hmm. how to produce video, how to interview people, every part of that. I kind of help them walk through the steps and, and understand the fundamentals. And of course, when there are crises that arise, like the editor-in-chief just sent me an email asking if, you know, saying that someone wants to get a story pulled off the internet, like that's not going to happen, you know, so I help <laughs> them with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So 
this editorial staff that we have this spring, I think is as well calibrated as any to succeed under the circumstances. And we had a great session. I, I'm, I can't wait to see where it goes, mm -hmm. but um, it's, you know, it's been really tough. And then the classes, the rest of the classes I teach are just, you know, we're just doing the best we can. I, I'm, I'm happy to say that the editing class, which I can't remember if you took my editing class or not. I don't think so. No. Yeah. My editing class, they all have, they all passed last semester, Okay, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is, you know, um, I didn't have to nudge them across the finish line, you know, like they actually mm -hmm. all passed, they earned their passing scores, which is the first time that's ever happened with me mm -hmm. teaching that class. You know, not that it's an insanely challenging class. I mean, it's tough, but people should pass it and everyone did pass it even despite it being virtual. So I, you know, I'm really proud of them adapting to the new format. I'm proud of myself for kind of applying myself, not just like hitting, you know, uh, just opening a zoom yeah. meeting and just like talking at the camera forever. Like I'm <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I think on the whole, it's, it's been a challenge. It's been, it's been exhausting. I look forward to going back to class. Mm -hmm you know, hopefully this fall. Okay. Now you mentioned something too that reminded me of your teaching ways as far as always pushing the button, right? And you always asked us and pushed us as writers and the editors to kind of cover more of like the groundbreaking stories. And I remember the big one from my year was the pipelines as far as the, the water pipelines in certain buildings on campus were very old and outdated and they weren't up to regulation. Is that harder to, as for, you know, your students in, in the paper, as far as getting those kind of stories now that they're off campus and they don't have that kind of, you know, connection of being on campus and keeping their ears open to certain things like that. Yes. It is much harder to do that. It is the, there's a couple issues. First of all, when you're not on campus, you can't actually see what's happening on campus. Mm -hmm. You can't like, for example, um, fall 2018, no fall 2019, fall 2019, a story where, half of the elevator permits on campus were expired Oof. and some were more than others. So the only reason that we knew that was because someone had come to class and mentioned an expired, just like offhandedly mentioned an expired elevator permit. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's a story. Um, and I said, let's go out to this elevator right here in Mendocino hall. We looked at that one. It too was expired. And so I said, tell you what, if one of you wants to like go hit every elevator on campus and just take a, a log of, of what's expired and what's not, I guarantee you, you'll find a story there. Mm -hmm. And so one of the students took me up on it and he's out there. Like he, like, I mean, it wasn't even like two hours later, he posted on our Slack channel. Wow. Here's my report. And yeah, it was something like half or two thirds of the <laughs> wow. elevators were expired. In mind, this isn't like Watergate, right? Like, this yeah, a big, big deal. It's, it's just, you know, there's probably an explanation for that, but nevertheless, they are expired. And it indicated that there is a, a lack of accountability for something that needs to be attended to. And right. that's what the state Hornet does. It holds people to account and it makes sure this stuff gets done and people are safe. And they did that story. And I mean, immediately the permits, I guess some of them were already on file. They just hadn't been placed yet. Okay. The, the permits showed up. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's a, a, a context where journalism worked. Journalism got the job done. Now flash forward to the present day where you can't do that story. No one's yeah. on campus. Like you're not going to know if the elevators are expired. There's not even anyone in the elevators, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
we can go back to water mains. We can go to, um, you know, asbestos in the ceiling tiles. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that happen on campus at any given day um, that you have to hear at hand or kind of obliquely through the grapevine. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not conducive to doing hard hitting, consistent, sustainable journalism. Um, by the same token, you don't have any excuse. I mean, the story, you still have to find stories. You still have to do right. a job. And so the, the challenge has been to say, well, what would we do if we were on campus and how can we kind of adapt or evolve that for the present circumstance? And mostly the students have done a good job. You know, there's a lot of excuses about, oh, no one will return my emails, no one will return my calls, but I don't know about you, Noah, but actually you're okay with email. Most of my students, like they don't even know what email is, right? Like they're oh, on wow. text, you know, they're good on yeah. DM, all that stuff. <laughs> they're not they're not emailing each other. So when they say someone doesn't respond to an email, I'm like, well, you don't respond to emails either, you know, so <laughs> let's go to plan B. So that's been the thing is really figuring out like, what do they actually engage with? How do people engage in mm-hmm. COVID era? And where can we find stories in that zone? That's been the challenge. And it's been, it's been really interesting. You know, it's had mixed, mixed results, but we're getting better. We're, by the time it's over, we'll, we'll know how to do it. And then we'll have to come back to campus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. It's just as you're ready to adapt and find that new way. It's like, oh, well, sorry, you got to throw that out the window. Yeah, at least on the bright side, you know, uh, it's just another skill we'll have our, our you know, our toolkit. And we'll, we'll know, we'll know how to do that. We'll know how to kind of, you know, assess and, and report stories out without, you know, immediate access or obvious access to the people or things, resources that we need. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned something earlier too about the State Hornet going fully online. It's fully digital. There's no print. And I remember that was something that we had when I was on campus and then you being a part of the State Hornet back when you're at Sacramento State. What were some of those emotions that you had when you had make that final decision to fully go online? I was thrilled. Mm-hmm. You know, not gonna lie, I was over the moon mm-hmm. uh, for a few reasons. Now just a little bit of background here. I am an alumnus of the state Hornet. I am right. an alumnus of Sacramento state. I was on the state staff when I was a student. I spent two years. I cut my teeth, the state Hornet, like a lot of, I mean, almost all of everything I know about reporting and journalism. I started at the state Hornet. And I can't think of much that I've done beyond what I did at the state Hornet that I learned outside of that. Like I just, mm-hmm. I learned it all there. And so it was a newspaper at the time. There was a, um, affiliated with it. You know, this is not like that early in the internet era. It was like 2003, 2004, mm-hmm. but I was so happy to not have to deal with the newspaper anymore. Back in the day, you know, everything was on a, a one week cycle. The paper would come out once a week. And so we were all like thinking, okay, well, we have to do this one week cycle, you know? And then when I got back to Sac State as a, a teacher, it was the same kind of thing. We had said it's a little more built up, but people were like kind of on this, the, thing with the newspaper is that you get stuck on this one week cycle that you don't cover the stuff happening in between, you know, Wednesday or Thursday and Thursday. Mm -hmm. So students were just like overlooking stuff. They were ignoring things or thinking, oh, well, we want to hold that for the newspaper as opposed to publishing it online. Like you guys don't even read newspapers. (laughs) You, you know, you share everything. You read everything online. Um, there's all these different ways of storytelling that are you know, just broadcast podcasts. There's all these modern ways of storytelling that were getting overlooked. So one of my mission, the advisor, when I first set foot on campus in that capacity was to just, you know, ax the newspaper, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not bashful at all. Um, you know, coy about that. I wanted people to know like, this is something we need to do. So 
um, it succeeded. Like we, we were able to, it's a process I won't bore you or your listeners with, but the bottom line is we needed to make that change. We went through the process. It took two years. The students were on board with it. They all agreed it needed to be done as well. And um, got it done. And so there was no bittersweetness at all. There were some alums who were unhappy about it. And I don't really <laughs> have, I don't know what I can say about that other than, you know, nostalgia is the same thing as wisdom, you know? Right. <laughs> we have to just kind of proceed. We have to go forward. And so we had a big send off for it. We had a big, you know, final, that's my cat's tail, by the way. Um, <laughs> we had a final send off for May 4th, 2019, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard to believe it was almost two years ago. It's crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, we had a big send off for it, a one year kind of high 70th anniversary year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it was like, you know, sayonara and haven't looked back. Haven't okay. looked back at all. And today, you know, these days I, I do some conferences and I, I do this session called, Why Are You Still Printing a Newspaper? cheeky it's meant kind of provocatively you know <laughs> yeah but um not in a way that's like judging people but in it's just like you know ask yourself a serious question and and i'll be honest noah people still just newspaper just has to exist part mm-hmm. of it's a revenue thing like we got to make money with that newspaper ads but that's not sustainable and it's just insulting your audience um by telling them this is a digital first product but in reality you know, it's always going to be a print first product. As long as there's a newspaper, it's always print first. And that's not the way that our audience, you know, a campus-based audience, 31,000 students who pay for this thing. That's right. not the way. They, that's not the metabolism. That's not the media metabolism. Have. So I'm, I'm glad it's gone. Um, yeah. Also that's the, the production time that goes into something like that, that just, it's a waste of time, man. Mm. It really is just for, for our, again, for our, I'm not, there are, there are great print organizations out there. Mm. I understand why they're there. I do. I sincerely do. But for our particular focus and our particular audience and our, we're trying to teach to make media in the 21st century, it was a waste of their time. And I'm really glad that they don't have to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. I bring that up though, because as like looking at the bigger picture though, you know, I don't know how it is in Sacramento, but at least in Orange County, as far as like, you know, you walk the streets and depending on where you are, there's a lot of those newspaper boxes, right? Where they used to be the OC register, the OC weekly and a few other like local, you know, the Spanish newspaper. And a lot of those are kind of abandoned and empty now. Sometimes every now and then I'll walk past one and I'll see them in there and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I gotta take a picture of this. Like, you know, you're so used to seeing them empty though. But I remember, you know, I'm still from that. Well, I don't know if it's because I'm that age, but I still remember, you know, my parents subscribed to the Orange County Register, which was the newspaper down here. And I remember, you know, reading the sports section, like, you know, religiously every day. And then eventually it became like a, we only got on Sunday. So I was just only reading it Sundays. And then eventually we got a computer by the time I was in high school. So, you know, all that was gone. But I remember, you know, checking the box stores, looking at the the features on the, you know, whatever it is, the Lakers, the, the Dodgers, the Galaxy, you know, the, just to the different stories. And I, I guess it's a little bit of, like you said, nostalgic, but it, it's, I guess, far as the bigger picture, like seeing the, the art and the newspaper itself kind of like die away and become online. Like you said, it's a lot more convenient, I think, for the readers because it's all at your fingertips and all on these, you know, fancy little gadgets that we have here. But yeah. it's um, it almost makes you, at least for me, it makes me remind me a little bit of my childhood and kind of miss it a little bit. Yeah, I am not uh, immune to that feeling of nostalgia. You know, I grew up reading the Sacramento Bee, the kitchen table every day. I mean, yeah. I read it religiously the sunday paper and the sunday opinion section the forum it used to be called mm-hmm. that just influenced me so much kid you know um it's weird because i i don't know why it took me so long to come back around to journalism you know because at mm-hmm. the time i i like i said i kind of wanted to do movies and i got more into music and that kind of stuff but 
my upbringing was mediated like all of my interest in film and music and all the rest you know was mediated through the sacramento bee mediated through a newspaper not through a phone not through a computer you know i'm the last generation to grow up without the internet mm-hmm. and so i literally grew up with a print newspaper on my porch every morning and just the ink on my fingers you know uh, <laughs> i grew up with that and that was but i also recognized that to the extent it it means something to, as a media consumer it has been replaced uh you know functionally it has been replaced mm-hmm. by electronic media and so it doesn't mean it invalidates the or, or devalues the print product like it still has value just not for the reasons or for the per function that it used to Mm-hmm. So if you follow what I'm saying, it's just like, it has a place, but that place is kind of proscribed. Like it's, it's limited. And, right. and we need to look realistically at other media that we, we do actually use almost instinctively without even thinking about it, our phones, mm-hmm. you know, social media, obviously computers, desktop, tablets, all that stuff. Um, podcasts, like types of yeah. media, you know, all these different ways we get our information now, almost unthinkingly. And, but we still reactively think of print as this kind of, you know, relic or, or, or I guess kind of a relic, but almost like an antique, you know, like a, mm-hmm. like a, like a, just this kind of vintage, uh, yeah. you know, object. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but really it, that's, I think that's the extent to which I can actually apply value to it. Um, I love picking up a magazine still. I really do. Yeah. But um, I just, I recognize that there's, it, it costs so much those, it, um, takes an incredible amount of resources to move, to transfer like an actual print magazine from the place where it's printed to your mailbox or mm-hmm. to a newsstand, like the amount of gas yeah. and labor that goes into the expense of all that. It's like, there's, there's better ways. So I just, mm-hmm. and people get the same information and, um, the experience is different, but the end results, the same people are enlightened and, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's just, it, it is how it is. Right. And this all, you know, talk about vintage and, you know, losing, not losing, but so much changing the, as far as industries. It reminds me of something uh, I read from uh, that you wrote about Blockbuster. And as far as like the nostalgicness of going to Blockbuster, you know, kind of seeing like the worker there, maybe asking them for a movie recommendation and just kind of like gambling at the movie you selected was going to be a movie that you enjoyed. And then you, you thought about like, I think you mentioned too something about like whether you're going with the family, going for your kids, you're picking up a movie for them. So it's kind of like that whole mystery where obviously like for those who don't know, Blockbuster has been gone for a long time now. And, you know, the the way we watch movies has changed a lot too, especially with the, you know, who knows how the movie theaters bounce back after, you know, COVID and and when we'll be able to go in large groups again like that. But uh, I went to a drive-in theater and I hadn't been to a drive-in theater in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least five plus years so it's just interesting to see the way like the way we watch movies even has shifted from something like blockbuster to where we are now yeah the blockbuster article and that idea of a community gathering space where media are shared uh you know in block in the case of blockbuster it's a video store mm-hmm. so there are thousands of titles you know wall-to-wall releases and it's very it's it's really curated in a way that you know i guess netflix technically is because there's you know it's not like an infinite amount of content but yeah it's 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 much more narrow than that 
there's a lim- literally a space limitation to what you can accommodate at a blockbuster. And that necessarily requires people to make choices. It requires the, you know, the, the buyers these videos to make choices. It requires the people who manage these stores where they locate those to make choices. It requires the customer to make choices. I remember I'd go to Blockbuster and I would stand there looking at the shelf for like, I don't know, an inordinate amount of time. That was terrible. I couldn't make a choice, right? Cause like I couldn't commit. It's like, if I rent <laughs> this, I'm not, what if I make a mistake, you know? Right. So it had to be right. And it's the same reason I, I kind of struggle with Netflix. I, I have more stuff on my watch list than I actually watch, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that idea of having someone there who could say, Hey, I noticed you're having a hard time with this. Let me help you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you in the mood for? You know, what movies do you like? Mm-hmm. Oh, movie A, movie B, movie C. Okay. Well, why don't we try these options or those options you like this filmmaker you might like that filmmaker mm-hmm. you know and blockbuster was was very much a gatekeeper you know against you know indie films and obviously you know tv the golden age our current golden age of television was nothing like then like it is now um you know streaming has done so much for that medium but blockbuster you know it had its 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 benefits and i think the the print gatekeeper is 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 much the same kind of relic much the same kind of relic you know uh, we we media creators content creators have now basically just said we're gonna, we're just going to throw it out there mm-hmm. we're just going to put it out there and just hope for the best you know right. it, it used to be content kind of like you know work with theater owners and blockbusters and other mm-hmm. video stores and record labels uh, would work with uh, or I'm sorry I um yeah record labels would work with the radio stations Mm-hmm. you know, to kind of get the music out that they wanted to kind of very narrow cast. Right. Um, and so all these gatekeeper functions have fallen away and there is uh, a, not only a, a bittersweetness to that, but a disadvantage because there's a lot of stuff that's going to just not get seen that needs yeah. to be seen or heard or viewed or otherwise consumed. So mm-hmm. we do miss Blockbuster to some extent for that reason. I think we'll miss print for that reason as well. There is a downside to losing a gatekeeper or a curator because a newspaper, again, limited space, right? It's finite. Yeah. What do you got a newspaper? You got 60 pages, mm-hmm. something like that, right? Yeah. Part of that's going to be advertising and then part of that's going to be news. Mm-hmm. And then the news is really well curated, well organized, well it's finite like okay i'm gonna get in the store i'm gonna get out of the store i'm not gonna have ads on the side like you know <laughs> beckoning me away for like a, a special deal <laughs> yeah you know, on, on, on these sweatpants or this you know energy drink or right or you know this car deal um i'm not gonna have um you know related links teasing me away pulling me away though that's an advantage i'm whatever i'm getting carried away but the bottom line is i'm not gonna have distractions Mm-hmm. and print was great for not having distractions blockbuster was great for not having distractions you know tradi- traditional terrestrial radio is great for not having distractions right you know over the air television et cetera et cetera i mean yes there are advertisements and but it's linear mm-hmm. in ways that our you know streaming media are not and that's that's messing up with our brains i think to some extent yeah it can be a little overwhelming for sure too you know you mentioned too like the different advertisements i always think it's you know it's crazy too you could be talking about something um i f- forgot exactly i think i was talking about like traveling somewhere and the next advertisement I got while scrolling on Amazon was like a traveling and, you know, these things, you know, the dis- devices, whether it's a phone, laptop or, or desktop, they kind of pick up, you know, the sounds and what you're talking about without you even knowing it. And I mm. think that can almost be a little scary at times because you're just like, I, w- I didn't even I get when you put something in your cart and then you don't buy it 
it comes up as an advertisement later. Totally understand that. But when you don't even like search up something, you're just talking about it with a friend or out loud. It's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And um, I, I don't know why, but the last couple of days, my programmatic ads, I must've gotten hacked or something behind the scenes, something nefarious <laughs> um, is going on. But in the backdrop, um, as it listens, my programmatic ads, by which I mean the ads that pop up on Twitter, you mm-hmm. know, the promoted ads that it kind of the algorithm says, oh, well, we were listening to your conversation. So we imagine you must want, you know, uh, to rent a video tonight. In fact, I have my phone on airplane mode right now. I hope it's not picking all this up. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see. It'll be an interesting experiment. But um, was getting at was the phone will listen to you. My ads re- over the last couple of days have been weird. Like, mm-hmm. um, like I had one, maybe it's because of all the, about the January 6th attacks, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of militia wear. Oh, wow. I'm okay. not in a militia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just for the record, I, I do not, uh, I do not want to be in a militia. I mm-hmm. do not countenance militias. Nevertheless, there it is, you know, militia wear. I had a, the weirdest thing, Noah, I had an ad for raw chicken feet that you could like for food, you know, wow. like for, for, for pets, for animals. I don't know, but it, just, and it was, there was photos of just raw feet. I'm a vegan. Okay. Oh, wow. Like, there is no demand for <laughs> raw chicken feet in my house. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this. And then the actual text in the tweet was just weird. It was like, it was almost like a full language. I mean, it wasn't, it was English, but it was like, it was like code for something else. And I thought, am I getting hacked? Like what's happening here? <laughs> it was surreal. And so, yeah. yeah, all of those, all of those kind of listening in, and, uh, again, hypermediation of our day-to-day life through our phones and our, our devices mm-hmm. is, is terrifying. And I really hope that um, I'm, I'm speaking to myself. I hope I'm better able to um, account for that and, and kind of tweak it and change it, if not eliminate it entirely. I'm thinking seriously about just like, like Twitter for my life um, mm-hmm. and really paring back my digital diet because it's gotten to a point now where it's, it's a little overwhelming. Yeah. It's something I've tried to do because I think at least at the beginning of quarantine, you know, there was a lot more time on our hands. I was spending a lot more time scrolling through the different social media platforms. And I don't know, it's, it's something where I've said like time limits on myself. I'm only allowed to u- use this for an hour a day. Cause I still like to interact as far as whether it's promoting the podcast or any article or blog that I may write or anything that I'm a part of. Sometimes I just want to share my feelings and go on there, mm-hmm. but I just try and limit it as much as possible because like you said, it could just be very, uh, you can get a lot of lot, little wormholes and you spend, you know, next thing you know, you, you get that weekly report on the phone. Um, if you have like an iPhone and it's like, oh, you spent 10 hours a day on average this week. And I was like, oh my goodness, like what, you know, it's, so. it's awful. Yeah. It's really bad. And, um, yeah, it's messing with our brains. Everyone knows this, like, I'm not breaking any news here. It's just, there's a point where you have to stop complaining about it and actually take action. And mm-hmm. so the reality is you know, I remember two years ago, I pitched a, an, an op-ed to a publication and the title of Abandon Social Media for Civilization's mm-hmm. Sake. And I didn't even get a response. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, looking back two years ago, I was right. I was yeah. <laughs> absolutely right. Like we have seen like the, the decay and deterioration of civilization and civil society. Mm-hmm. Um, more immediately speaking, you know, civil American society. We've also seen some, some 
a lot of good things too. Like I think a lot of the protests and the activism that happened summer was fueled in large part and in, in, in a good way by social media, Mm -hmm. by the same token, a lot of, if not all of what we saw on January was also fueled by social media. Mm -hmm. So it's just that, you know, traditional classic double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, you know, I thought, well, what if I just use it less? Yeah. You know, everything in moderation. And I thought, well, that might be a good idea. And then I also thought, it just, it always makes me unhappy. And it makes, <laughs> it makes everyone unhappy. It makes yeah. everyone unhappy. Like it has constructive uses, but on balance, they're destructive uses and they make everyone angry. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so why doing this? And right. I just, I went back to the argument of abandoning social media for civilization's sake. And I, I thought, well, Maybe I should, you know, practice what I preach. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see. We'll see how I, how I, how I, I don't know. How do you feel about it? Like, what's your diet like? And how do you feel about what you're going to be doing in the future with it? I try to limit it. And I'm a big advocate as far as taking breaks from it. Um, I'll delete Instagram or Twitter from time to time. You know, I'm completely off Snapchat and a few other ones that a lot of people use. So it's pretty much Twitter and Instagram that I'm consistently on. Even TikTok, I really... I'll post on there, but I, I, I don't even bother spending too much time because it's a new platform that I kind of have to maneuver and learn. But I think one thing I, I really liked and I would love to see more push for this going forward. It was actually an idea from the movie Ready Player One. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I didn't. So at the end, it's, you know, obviously the, it's a book too, but it's these players are in a game and in this, you know, futuristic world, the game is so addicting that people spend most of their time in this video game instead of living real life. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the creator of this game, he passes away and not to give too much spoilers, but he basically like leaves a reward. And, and basically if you find this reward in the game, you get to like be a part owner or I think a majority owner in this game. And so anyways, the main characters eventually, you know, go on to win the game. But at the end, like they're the thing that they get to change is that two days of the week, this game is offline. Like you can't physically go play. It. And that their whole thing is because, you know, these main characters were against the game, but they wanted to win this game for obviously different reasons. Monetary a lot was uh, the motive, but it was just, it was cool to see that. And I was thinking, Oh, like, that'd be cool. Like what if someone said up top said Sunday, the Wednesdays, you know, all these social medias and all this internet is just, you can't use it. You have to actually like go be a human being and interact with other people and, go outdoors, enjoy the sunshine, that kind of deal. And I know it's challenging in other places and, you know, whatnot, and people have reasons against it too. But uh, I just think that'd be something that would be cool to implicate or something like that. Maybe it's just an hour, you know, an hour Sunday, internet's off and it's like, okay, well, we got to do what we used to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like a social media sabbatical or something like that, you know, Mm -hmm. just or a hygiene break. I mean, whatever you want to call it, you know, but um, I think that's a really good idea. And I would love to participate if and when it arises or just, you know, until then, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I just think we have to do something. I love what you said, of deleting Twitter and Instagram. I don't have either of those on my phone anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, if I do, if I am on Twitter, which is a lot less, even in the last few days, I've tried to kind of downgrade my usage. Instagram, I'm hardly on at all, you know, mm-hmm. um, but if I have to go to either of them, I'll go through a browser. My, mm. my browser on my phone. I'll go through that. Um, yeah. Snapchat, TikTok. It's really weird because I advise a bunch of 20 and 21 year olds, you know? Yeah. And so it's important in my role as the advisor of a state Hornet, a student media organization to actually be able to not only um, 
you know, teach that, you know, but uh, just have a, yeah, familiarity with it, like a consumer's familiarity with it. Like right. you, you really have to understand it, you know, be able to maneuver it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's one thing to say, so here is, here is what the app is. Here is what it technically does. Here's what the research says it does. Here's how to, you know, use it according to manual, yeah. right? Or whatever we've seen reported about it. But mm -hmm. these, you know, students like, you know, not much, um, just a few years after you, right? Like they're, they're the ones who are around now. Mm -hmm. They're born with phones in their hands, practically, yeah. you know, I mean, they just know how to do this stuff in ways I don't. It's like, so whether I'm on it or not, I don't think it matters. Like it mm -hmm. just doesn't matter. It's like, you guys know more about that than I do. Mm -hmm. All right. If you need to know, the stuff that's more technical, like journalistically, mm -hmm. like, I'm here for you. If you need to know about ethics, if you need to know about interviewing, because those things don't change. Those fundamentals don't change. The, right. the fundamentals of reporting, the fundamentals of news gathering, the necessity of and fact finding, fact checking, all of those you know, necessary measures and techniques, methods, don't change right the platforms that change and so some people know those platforms better than i do and i'm not going to fake it in fact mm -hmm. today in the orientation for the state hornet someone said um are you going to how to use the cameras uh mm -hmm. is there going to be a way to do that remotely i'm like i'm not teaching how to use the cameras no mm -hmm. uh and not because i am above it it's just i don't know how <laughs> yeah. you know? like i know my limitations like the photo editor you know that thing like the back of your hand you mm -hmm. teach it like it's gonna be a great opportunity for you to show your reporters what you want to do how you want to use it if mm -hmm. i do it i'm gonna screw it up i'm gonna make it work so <laughs> I, you know that's the thing you delegate what you don't know to the people who do mm -hmm. and they will do so much better than you ever will or at least i ever will speaking for myself i i right. you know our an expert at everything. <laughs> I try to be. No, but um, you know, you mentioned the state hoarding a lot too. If you can, kind of going back to that and your experience as a student, what were some of the early challenges you had as far as because you mentioned you were into movies, but not a whole lot into journalism or that aspect of it? What were some of those struggles that you faced as far as being a student for the state hornet at Sacramento? Um, the schools were generally just, you know working with other staffers and teamwork, you know, like you feel, you feel when you're that age. And even today, I think, you know, like my, one of my biggest weaknesses is I just try to go it alone. You know, I just try to do it myself and that has its upsides, downsides. And I think that was a, a, a real learning opportunity for me. Was it sometimes um, you don't know it all mm -hmm. <laughs> and you have to you have to in fact rarely do you know it all um and so you have to defer to the people who do and there were times in that like for example um at the end of my junior year i applied for the editor-in-chief role i didn't get it mm -hmm. the person who got it I, you know when she was selected and i don't have any problem saying this i think she knows this and, and she and i have been in touch recently um but I was, you know, I was not, I was disappointed, you know, mm -hmm. as it's a role I wanted and as a role I felt I could have done better at and, um, and who knows whether I could have done better at it to counterfactual, right? All I know is I didn't want to abandon the state hornet. It wasn't like I was going to take my ball and go home, you know, but that was right. a growth moment for me. That was honestly, that might've been like 
watershed. I haven't thought about it until you framed it this way just today, right now. Mm-hmm. You know, for me as a, as a young person getting into journalism, realizing that sometimes you're not going to get what you want and you have mm-hmm. to, you know, inhabit the world as it is. And you can certainly walk away and try and attempt to do your own thing. But other times you're going to, because there will be times for that, you know, where you want to be entrepreneurial, you want to just kind of strike up. Own, that's okay. But to strike off on your own because you didn't get something you want is yeah. both immature and counterproductive. So mm-hmm. I opted to stick with it. And um, that facilitated for me um, just uh, it almost like just supercharged my growth. Mm-hmm. Almost, you know, it's like I, I work with a team. I work yeah. with, I wasn't even the editor of my section after that. It's like I went. I went from being like, I think I was like an opinion writer or something in my Mm -hmm. year. I went from being an opinion writer, which is kind of a cushy thing, right? Yeah. To being a news reporter. I was like, I want to be thrown in the deep end of the hardest thing the State Hornet has. Like Mm. the opposite of the editor-in-chief. Like if she's going to do that role and I'm not, like what's what's the next hardest thing I can do? Okay. It was was being a news reporter, (laughs) Uh you know? And so I, and that's where I learned I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad it happened. I had not thought of this until you framed it that way. So thank you for raising this because I, I need to keep keep those things in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, just how important it is sometimes to just take a step back. And um, sometimes the challenge you get is not the challenge you want, but it's a challenge you need. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. So that was an instance where I think I learned that maybe the first time I really learned that in my life. And um, I'm glad I did. Okay. And then after finishing up at Sacramento state, fast forwarding to your time at NYU, how did that just from a lifestyle wise and the cultures from West coast to East coast, very different cities, very different cultures. How did that, or some of the challenges as far as being on your own in a whole different part of the country? The challenge in NYU were, you know, like I mentioned uh, at the beginning of our conversation, I was married at the time. So I had a partner and we were in that together. And, um, so I had a little bit of support there. That was really right. My family, of course, supported me too a little bit, but I was on my own, like financially. Um, you know, we were on our own, I should say, you know, financially. And um, I paid for that myself. I undertook the the um, actions myself. Like that was all me. Like really, when I came back from Southern California, my first time going to co- college, and when I quit that, I was kind of on my own from there. You know, my family, of course, they supported me like uh, emotionally and more, you know, moral support. Yeah. Financially, I, I did it all myself. And NYU was like, oh my God, like the, that, that price tag, like, do I really want to do that? But yeah, that was the passion. That was my dream. Like I really, I can say, it, you know, no one can take that away from me. I went to NYU. Mm-hmm. That's what I always wanted. Um, getting there and, and, and surviving was always the goal. And so it was never a question of, you know, will I be able to pull it off? It was never a question of uh, how long am I going to um, like, okay, I'll give it a, just a couple of years for grad school and then I'll leave, you know, just kind of dip my toe in and then jet. It wasn't like that at all. It mm-hmm. was, it was like, this is home. Like, this is where I'm going to be, you know, for the first year of you really want to make this work. And it's never was a question. Like I was just always going to do it, you know, um, which is a phenomenal privilege to have. It's like, just cause you know, a lot of people can't afford that. They're like, I'm just going to do the best I can. Like for me, I don't know what you call it. Vision, confidence, both, neither. I don't know. It was just, it was, I, I just, I, I had to, I had to do it. I had to get it done. There's no question it was going to happen. And so the challenges that come with, you know, living in, um, were less reflective of, you know, NYU. They were less reflective of anything industrial. It was more like, holy shit, it's five degrees. 
uh, this is, this is the first time I've ever experienced this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not having a car, you know, um, adjusting to the subway and in public transportation, logistical right. things really more than anything. Um, and so I don't know if that's really the best answer to the question you're asking, but like, it, that's when I think back, the most challenging stuff was just, um, adapting to a different flow and mm-hmm. a different culture that just worked at a different speed. It was, it was just, it was kind of getting up to that speed, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's almost like kind of running next to a train, you know, you're you want to <laughs> jump on this train, you, <laughs> you got to like catch up with the train jump on it. Like that's what I had to do. Right. Yeah. So it was going, it was going faster than the train that I was just on. <laughs> <That's all. laughs> nice. And then I read too, that you were able to start, you know, your own little publication as far as the movies while their time at NYU and do a lot of stuff afterwards. But I guess what really stood out to you now that you reflect back on it was a moment where it was like aha moment where like, Oh, I could really do this. I'm really passionate about this and I can really do good at this. I was an intern at the New York Daily News in 2005, and I had that was the first time I had the experience of receiving like press releases and interview requests, or I'm sorry, um, uh, interview offers. So mm. publicists would send you say, "Hey, this filmmaker available, you know, for an hour. Do you want to talk to them for like 15 minutes or something like that?" And so you could reserve time with filmmakers, actors you know, newsmakers, whatever. So in a bunch of different fields. And so being kind of getting into that flow, immersing myself in that environment and having access like that, it, you know, suggested, that, okay, like this is how it's done. That's great. And then the movie part, the self, the, the kind of um, the, the small business kind of entrepreneurship um, start element of it came from probably around April or May of that internship. Um, I just realized, I read an article in the New York Times by David Carr, mm-hmm. uh, RIP, David Carr, and um, just a real mensch, a real mentor to me, a great guy. Um, he wrote an article about the New York City film scene mm. and in particular. And he, I had known it because I had previously interned for um, an independent film website. Mm-hmm. And the the long story short here is that I, I thought the article wrong. I thought he got the scene wrong. And I said, mm-hmm. well, I can do better than that. Mm-hmm. So I proposed it to the people I was interning with at the daily news. They're like, yeah, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's cool. And they were doing kind of like celebrity kind of, you know, bigger picture in New York culture stuff. I'm like, okay, no, no problem. So I quit and I started my own thing. And um, it was just a blog. At the, at the, when I started, it was just a blog mm-hmm. and I had the luxury of, I had a, a one more semester left at NYU. So, um, I had some financial aid again, I was living with a partner. I didn't have to, you know, support myself on my own outside of school, outside of a job, you know, I mm-hmm. could kind of freelance a little bit and I could just, you know, roll the dice and mm-hmm. put everything I had into it. And so that's how the reeler was born. It, the, today, the reeler is just kind of mothballed, kind of in fragments on the web. It, it really barely exists at all, but the articles are still there if you look for them. And um, there's some good stuff in there. There's some stuff I'm not told it's there, but you know, it is what it is. It's nothing that I did is so embarrassing. I wouldn't you know, take responsibility or ownership for it. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, um, a lot I did. And the team I work with, this, the, the reporters that I work with, 
uh, the editors that I work with, again, it's the publisher and the editor chief, the boss mm-hmm. are people who've had amazing careers, you know, and you can look them up folks like Eric Cohn, uh, Matt Singer, Michelle Orange, um, try to think of others off the top of my head. Um, Louis Beale was a reporter tired now, but he was amazing. He used to do stuff for the daily news and daily beast. Um, I'd have to look back. I mean, there were so many folks who worked at that website back in the day, but pretty long worth. She did some writing for us. Um, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. amazing to think about how that all, how that all evolved. I feel like I'm forgetting someone really important. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to, I mean, like, Stu, what the hell? <laughs> so it's just important to, you know, shoot your shot. You know, if you got it, if you really want to say something, you really want to do something, it doesn't cost anything. Like the realer cost me like just a domain registration, mm-hmm. you know, uh, at the time it was on a blog spot. It started as a blog spot account. So it's free, you know, now it'd be WordPress. Yeah. Um, and it didn't cost anything, but re- re- domain registration, which was like at the time it was probably $10. And then just, you know, sweat equity. I, I, I just started on my own and then eventually a bit of investment from family. They kind of supported it. I sold ads, you know, we had ad partnerships. So mm-hmm. I learned how to do the business side of it too, which is really great. Um, it wasn't just, you know, an editorial, but also like a real business where we had revenue. It was mm-hmm. cool. You know, it was cool. We were actually, we were breaking even for a minute and then, um, the recession and kind of the downturn hit and, uh, Mm-hmm. And right into that buzzsaw. And then I luckily got bailed out by Gawker Media and I went to work for them. Okay. Nice. And, that, and that's one thing too. I've noticed you were be able to write for the New York Magazine and a few other like different publications over there. But what mm-hmm. ultimately led you to the decision to move back to Sacramento after spending so much time in New York doing pursuing your dreams? When you know, earlier I mentioned wanting to not, not having a timetable on my time in New York, you know, it wasn't like going to grad school and like hitting the eject button, but more yeah. like it, the really thought was I want to stay in New York. Let me start over. My philosophy when I got to New York was leave before you hate it. Mm. And so it was a matter of getting everything I could out of living in New York um, socially, professionally, and just, uh, personally, just get everything out of it that I could and then leave before I was bitter, burned out, broke, mm-hmm. uh, despondent, whatever. Like I barely made it. <laughs> <laughs> I barely got out in time, but I mean, I was, uh-huh. I was pretty burned out. And so by the, I, I, most of the year, 2012, 2013 from summer, 2012 to summer, 2013, um, by coastal. Mm. So I'd go back and forth. I sell that place in New York and I would subly set out to a friend. It's really not new. I mean, you do need money. You need some resources to get there, but once you get there and you can actually get into a place, that's really all you need. And then everything else just kind of follows from there. Um, and once you get a place, you can sublease it. You can kind of go. Coastal. It's like, it's, it's, it's not that hard to do. It, it just takes money, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I just kept my, my apartment back there for a year. And then I decided I'd if you give up your apartment, then, then, you know, you're really serious about leaving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's your base. Right. And so you don't mm. want to give that up, but I, I was like, I had to get out of there. So uh, I, summer 2013, I realized this is too expensive. It's too, just too much of a psychic burden to carry anymore. So I just bailed and um, 
I didn't think Sacramento was the natural place for me to return. My family's still here. Mm-hmm. Um, got a good support system here. You know, I wasn't in the best way at that time. So I was able to kind of slow bit in 2013. I had a job waiting for me at Sacktown Magazine. I applied for the, um, the senior editor role there, got that, um, did some work for them for a couple of years and then started teaching at Sac State and then Sac State full-time since 2015. So um, mm. yeah, it was just the right time. Okay. As far as things you do remember and miss from the city of New York and your time there, what are some of those things that you do kind of reminisce on and think, man, I really miss that? Well, just the the arts and culture and entertainment and that kind of stuff, you know, uh, I really miss being able to look at a listing of bands that are playing or movies that are playing or, you know, public appearances from authors and mm. um, all kinds of stuff. To be honest, I didn't capitalize nearly as much as I should have on uh, city culture like I wasn't like a big theater goer or anything like that, but I valued it and I did participate and, and um, consume it when I could. Um, but I, I also, you know, I, I have a lot of very dear friends still in New York city, very, very dear friends. I miss all of them and I haven't seen, um, I haven't seen them in years. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, we stay in touch. Um, some of them I stay in touch with others. I miss them very much. That was the, really the biggest cost of leaving New York was, um, was the social cost mm. for sure. But, you know, get, I can go to San Francisco or even here in Sacramento, I can go see like a big band that's coming through. Right. And, you know, or, you know, and then I can always get a movie I want to see on Amazon Prime or wherever, you know, but yeah, when it, eventually, but when it comes to the, the live events and stuff like that, and uh, you know, that's all accessible still um, friends aren't. And that's, that's something you can't take for granted, man. You, mm-hmm. you cannot take friends for granted. You can't take family for granted. You can't take those connections for granted. And um, so I hope to be able to go back to New York soon. The other thing I did not take advantage of, I wish I had. Um, so this isn't really a direct answer to your question, but I wish I'd traveled more from New York mm. because you're right there. You know, you can go anywhere in the world. Yeah. I, I didn't do a lot of that, to be honest. Um, so that was something I regret, but you know, maybe another time. Yeah. And that's the one thing too. I've always wanted to visit New York. I think, you know, most people who are born in the United States outside of New York always want to visit the city, but it's something that I remember while I was in college, you know, I'd make the trip, at least from winter breaks or summer breaks, you know, from Southern California to Sacramento. It's about a six and a half hour drive. If you stop once for gas and food, that kind of deal. But, you know, a six hour drive from New York could get you all the way down to Pennsylvania or maybe even Maryland and you can basically, you know, cover three, four or five, maybe even six states, depending on where you're at and that same amount of distance. And I was like, oh, wow, like the East Coast is just everything's very cluttered together. I remember while at Sacramento State, I met a, a person who was from Philadelphia and they were talking about going to like New Jersey all the time. And I was like, man, like it, like you would just go all the time. And like, yeah, but it's like only an hour and a half away. And I was like, oh, like that, you know, that's kind of crazy because to go to Arizona or any neighboring state, it's at least depending on where you live, you know, I, even like Las Vegas is about three and a half hours from Southern California. So it's just, it's kind of a trip to as far as like the proximity of everything and how everything's so close together. And, you know, you mentioned it too, public transportation is a lot better out there. That's the whole thing. You know, I didn't have a car for a lot of that. I mean, I had a car, but it was parked long story, but I mean, I didn't have access, immediate access to a car. You don't need one. Mm. Um, and the great thing about the East coast is, you know, it's not all up and down the East coast, but you can get places if you don't have a car, you can hop on Amtrak, you can get on a, a, 
a bolt bus or whatever analog they have today or whatever different buses they have, you can get on one of those buses from Port Authority or just one of the stops they have in the city and, and be where you want to go in three hours, four hours. Like you can get to Washington DC in like three and a half hours or something like wow. that. It was great. And it costs 20 bucks, yeah. 40 bucks round trip. It's like, you can't beat that. Mm-hmm. And we don't have anything like that in Sacramento and or in California for that matter. You know, I mean, to the extent we have any ambition whatsoever to have like a functioning public transportation or, you know, um, municipal rail system, it's, it's like just, it's just concrete posts in the central Valley right now. Like there's nothing there. It'll never get built. You know, there's, there's just not the vision or the appetite for something California. It's just how we are. And I, I, I miss that too, from the East coast more generally, not just New York city, but, um, you know, the, the, I think instinct to focus on moving the most amount of people to the most amount of places as quickly and efficiently as possible. Like Mm. that is a huge emphasis in New York city and the East coast out here. It's like, you have a, there's one person in it. It gets, sometimes it gets 10 miles a gallon. I mean, it's just (laughs) not a priority and it's it's kind of frustrating and, and, and certainly sad. Um, I, I miss that to some extent too. And I was actually having an argument with someone about this the other day. They're saying California is so much better for, <laughs> you know, for getting where you want to go um, because you can get in your car and just go somewhere. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want, I don't have a car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what do I do? Right. And like, oh, well, maybe the East coast is better for you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I just, yeah, I missed that. It was, it was fun living there. You know, it really was. I'm not, I'm not necessarily, you know, Sacramento is not my last stop. Like I know there will be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not sure where that will be yet, but I'm itching more and more to figure that out. You know, I'm less and less likely and less and less inclined to kind of settle here. I love mm-hmm. where I live. I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate. Very good job. Luckily, knock wood, you know, mm-hmm. I have a three-year contract. This is my second year after <laughs> next year. Who knows what'll happen? <laughs> Nelson will, uh, you know, <laughs> he'll uh, say, Stu, can I? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Steve, come on in, shut the door. <laughs> oh man. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully not, but, um, Hey, you know, what happens happens. And I do hope that, um, you know, there, there are other adventures in the future. Um, because I, I really valued the transition back to Sacramento. I think my life really improved and I think mm-hmm. my life would improve from, another transition. I would also say this to you and your listeners, you know, um, who is, who's been in California their whole life. Anyone who this is most of what, you know, if not all of what, you know, you know, it's always worth getting a a really sustained and in-depth look at life on the other coast. Mm -hmm. Um, to say nothing of the rest of the country, like I've been all over the United States, Mm -hmm. um, but the East coast, I feel like people who live on the West coast who are from the West coast originally, you need to spend a little bit of time on the East coast. It's really important. And I think vice versa for the East coast, people need to come out the West coast. We don't know how each other lives. We almost like forget each other. But um, when I look at, when I listen to a lot of East coast podcasts, for example, none of them ever mentioned California. I pitched an <laughs> editor back there once and said, you should do a California like show. Mm-hmm. There aren't any, like, really aren't that many good California shows man. about California and California life, California politics, mm. California culture. There's just nothing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, why doesn't someone start one? Like maybe I yeah. should do it. And um, they just, yeah, they're not, they're, cause they're East coast. They're like, what's California? Yeah. yeah. That's what we'll, we'll call it. We'll call it. What is California? 
<laughs> and we'll just we'll just talk to people about what they think California is. It'd be awesome. Yeah, mm, that'd actually be really interesting. What um, is California? <laughs> no, let me ask you. You'd be the first. What is California? California. Well, one, it's a state, no, but uh, (laughs) it's so diverse though, too, because like I live here in a city and it's even like Orange County is technically like a suburb, but it's still like very fast paced, very like urban, like mentality. And I feel like you get that in the San Francisco Bay area, Oakland too, and then Sacramento as well. But then like, there's also like the mountainous areas of, of California that are very like out in the wilderness. And then there's like the Fresnos and Bakersfields, like the farm towns and so I guess that, to me, California is just like a diverse place of a lot of different cultures. I know that seems pretty broad, but I, that's what I think of it as is, you know, it's like, and there's a lot of history here, you know, um, a lot of big history, right? Whether it's the Bay area and like what it's as far as like Silicon Valley and the things they've invented recently, but also, you know, just look at like El Camino and all the missions, you know, that does like old history right. in California yeah. and, and it kind of shapes the culture here and how we do things. And so, I don't know, I think it's, very diverse, if that makes sense. Of course. Yeah. I, I would start there. You know, I mean, there's definitely um, this, I think, this theory of California as just um, kind of people think of California as LA. Yeah. Yeah. You know, generally speaking, you know, and then <laughs> San Francisco is kind of supplemental to that. Mm-hmm. Or, Francisco, I'm sorry. Did I say San Francisco? Sacramento. San Francisco, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. is supplemental to that. And then everything else is just kind of, you know, extra. So mm-hmm. San Diego, Orange County is extra. Sacramento, Fresno, Central Valley is extra. Mm-hmm. The north part of the state, you know, Mendocino and Humboldt and all that up there is extra. But, you know, the thing of it is LA. And so, what I'd really love to do is now that I think about it. I mean, it's interesting because you, you kind of just jog my, my instincts that do something where people kind of talk about what California is to them, you know, mm-hmm. because that is something that it's a conversation we don't really have because right. we, because California is so fragmented. So people who are here, just California is like what's immediately around them. Whereas people on the East coast think of California as one thing and it's usually Los Angeles. Yeah. So it would be interesting. And I am now really compelled to kind of think more about this, um, think, <laughs> about, think about having um, some sort of accounting of what California really is for mm-hmm. people who don't know about it. And maybe even people who do yeah. uh, kind of a 21st century reckoning uh, and analysis, you know, of the good, bad, ugly, indifferent, otherwise about California. Yeah. That, that it, it, I think about it a lot. It's my home state, Torrent Brom. I think about it a lot. And this is an interesting kind of prism through which that are at it. Yeah, I mm-hmm. do. And this talk, and this ties back into what you said, like about as far as traveling and just getting to see other parts of the country and even parts of the state. Cause you know, growing up, I got to travel a little bit, but I had never been to Sacramento and even like attending Sacramento, coming home for summer breaks or coming home after. And I tell people that I meet, you know, oh yeah, I went to Sacramento state. And because, you know, a lot of people here are Laker fans. A lot of people still think of Sacramento as like a farm town because of, you know, some comments that Phil Jackson made back in the early two thousands. And so I remember thinking like, oh, I'm going to go to Sacramento. And when I went, you know, on that first visit to campus, I was like, oh, wow, this is like a big city, you know, like this is not as the size of Los Angeles, but this is like damn near close to it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and um, it's huge. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a top 20 media market. I mean, there's a lot of people here and a lot of people, uh, a lot of people doing a lot of things. Right. Right. And there's, you know, there's a whole little foodie scene and barber scenes big there too. And, you know, there's, they have their own little hip hop and music scene. And it's just really cool to experience 
six and a half hours away from where I grew up. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of places to explore. I've been lucky enough to the past couple of years, I've gone to visit a few like family friends that had moved out to Texas recently and kind of visiting them and seeing Texas is like a whole different part of the country too. Uh, you know, there's gas stations that have like a hundred pumps and you're like, what the heck? Like, you, you know, you never seen a gas station so big in like the city It's like, Oh yeah. The standard eight, 10 pumps or whatever. And right. this one has a hundred and you're like, Oh my God, you're like, that's a, that's a whole planet. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I just think traveling though is cool. And, and obviously, you know, it ties a lot with like financials and you know, what, you know, family or socioeconomic, uh, you know, neighborhood you grew up in. So some people are restricted to traveling, but I think it's really been really beneficial as far as learning different parts of the country and different parts of the world. Yeah. 100% agreed. Um, it's, it's just invaluable to get around the United States in particular. I like, I do a lot of traveling when I was in New York when I, I kind of regret that to some extent, but I can look back at my life as an American and I can say, well, you know, I did travel in my twenties, large twenties to something like 40 States, like 41 oh, wow. States. Like I drove all over the country oh, I mean, wow. hundreds of thousands of miles on my vehicles, not because I had to not in some cases it was like cross country moves, obviously. Um, like don't ever drive a U-Haul across country if you can avoid it. Okay. Just it's, I did it twice. I'll never do it again, but, um, yeah, but it was, you know, being able to see and spend time in just weird places that no mm-hmm. one really talks about, like Davenport, Iowa, you know, just weird little, it, it doesn't look like anywhere else in, in the United States. It has its own kind of weird main drag. It, it's hard to explain. And then, um, you know, multiply that times hundreds of all the different towns and cities that you see, you know, mm-hmm. um, going to baseball stadiums and basketball arenas and, um, you know, schools and colleges and all kinds of different cultural hubs that mm-hmm. these cities boast, you know, there's nothing like it. It's just, it's great. It's really great. I miss it to some extent. I don't, I don't miss the driving, but, mm-hmm. um, I miss kind of getting out of the car yeah. in a new city and just saying, well, okay, like, what is there to see? What is there to do? Because mm-hmm. there always is something to see and do. And as mm-hmm. a journalist, you know, in journalism, our, our job, we're, we're trained to ask those questions and to find those stories, to find those people. Um, and so it's cool to be able to kind of switch on or flip that switch, I guess, switch on that instinct, whatever you want to call it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and start to kind of ask around, like what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people just want to, people just want to tell their stories in the end. And so right. whether you're like on the record with a notepad or a camera, or you're just like kind of just chatting. You know, mm-hmm. as, as a, as a visitor, as a newbie, people just want to tell their stories at the end. And that's one of the upsides of, of domestic travel is you get to encounter a bunch of people who strangers and ask them their questions or ask, ask them about their lives. Mm-hmm. And I uh, mean, I could tell you stories. It's incredible, but um, I know we're out of time. So it was, <laughs> I just highly recommend, you know, domestic travel. Mm-hmm. To kind of t- tie a bow on it. Is there any place, whether it's in the country or outside the country that you know, if you were granted the ability to travel relatively soon, what would be that first place you'd want to go see? In, inside or outside the country? Yeah. Anywhere, anywhere in the world? Mm-hmm. Anywhere in the world. So I have always wanted to visit Sweden. Mm. Um, I've always wanted to go. I'm a big fan of the filmmaker Ingmar Bergman. And every July uh, to commemorate his birthday, he died uh, um, about I want to say, gosh, 2007, 2008. So he's been dead a while, uh, but he was a very, very celebrated filmmaker of the, the mid 20th century. And 
for his birthday every year, they have it called the Bergman festival. I, I, you know, to the extent I have a bucket list at all, mm. that's on the bucket list. I really want to go to the Bergman festival because Sweden has two months of good weather every year. <laughs> and right. that, that's one of, that's one of the little kind of slivers of good weather. And, and so I really want to go to Sweden. Okay. Uh, that's, that's going to happen eventually. I was going to go a couple of years ago. I, I lost my nerve and then mm. COVID hit. And so who knows what's going to happen now, but I really want to go. I'm going to do it. That's where it's going to be. Yeah. There you go. We've talked a lot about your passion for movies and your interest in them, but I haven't asked you yet. What are like your top three, maybe top five movies of all time? Well, I'm predictable that way. Um, you know, I mean, sort of Godfather, you know, to me is like the perfect film. I don't okay. Think anything wrong with it? I it, it rewards viewing. Just always. Mm-hmm. Every, I could watch a scene in that movie and and get something from that. Um, it it rewards discovery and and beauty. It's a beautifully filmed movie. It's just it's beautifully shot, beautifully produced. Um, it's just it's amazing. It's a it's a wonder. It's a real miracle. I actually woke up. I might have actually had a dream about it last night. I, I it really it's like it's it's in my blood, it's like it's in my psyche. Wow. It's really like that movie is is affecting me in ways that nothing else has. Um, and then I'm a big big fan of a movie called The Last Waltz. Do you know mm. that movie? No, I've never heard of it's it. It's a con- it's a concert film. It's uh, there's a band called The Band. It was um, Bob Dylan's backup band in the '60s, and then they split off on their own and became a really really big act in the '70s. But most people haven't heard of them today because they haven't they broke up in 1976 Mm -hmm. this show or this movie waltz documents their final concert oh okay and then it kind of goes to their studio in malibu and it kind of talks to them about their history and it's it's fascinating as a documentary and also just as a glimpse of interpersonal dynamic and they all hated each other (laughs) so it was really cool to kind of like see how they kind of interacted together and um you know listen to and engage with each other and that's another movie that rewards repeat raising arizona is up there Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know that film? The Coen Brothers comedy with Nicolas Cage? Heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's the funniest movie I've ever seen. It's so great. Um, it really, really, really just a, a masterpiece. It's so funny. Um, it's a great, great film. Um, Notorious by Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. I love that movie with Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. Uh, and then as far as Bergman films go, like Ingrid and the director, um, I'm a really big fan of Cries and Whispers from 1973. Scenes from a Marriage, 1975. Um yeah, I could go on. They're just like, well, they're not all great, but <laughs> they really, they hold up. They mm-hmm. hold up. Now, one thing too, that I've noticed as far as like talking to like either my parents or uncles and aunts, they always talk about how like movies nowadays, they just lack a lot of creativity. Do you share some of those similar feelings? And like, why do you think the movie industry kind of shifted towards that? Yeah, I do share that feeling. And that's part of why I don't cover movies anymore because I just find any value in most movies that I watch that is I know how that's well I don't I'm not going to tell you what you think how, about how that sounds mm-hmm. oh how you think that sounds but just let me finish and then I'll ask you um I, I just I I find most films unwatchable mm-hmm. um I think that they repeat themselves they uh lack any individual voice they lack any sort of perspective on real life and how people really live um there is 
this kind of socio-cultural narrative to most films and the film mm. industry that I find repellent. Um, it's alienating to me. It's not how people really live um, or how they talk. And, and I think that there's this idea that industry congratulates itself over and over and over again. Um, I watched like part of Joker, mm. which I found like, I, I was going to say, I found it awful, but like, I didn't even find it awful. I just found it like so insulting. <laughs> it's like, mm. is this really what we're going to do now? Are we going to like, you know, kind of probe the inner mind and the the darker of the Joker origin story. It's like, do we have anything else we can spend our time on? Like, seriously, I know a lot of people love that. Joaquin Phoenix, you know, great actor, but like, I just feel like there's, there's gotta be a better application of our time and, and, and bandwidth. There has to be. You right. Know? And if this is the way that American cinema and, and you know, in, in 2021 or 19, whenever that was, mm -hmm. it's gonna go, you know, and Marvel movies and star wars movies are going to kind of be the coin of the realm of you know contemporary american cinema like count me out man yeah so i know that sounds like a really or that might sound i don't know how does it sound does that sound terrible does it sound like grumpy old man like what do you think no i because it's because i've heard it so much i've looked into it or i you know there's a lot of movies that are made now that i had no idea were are remakes so something 20 30 years ago and what you know obviously you mentioned marvel and the star wars obviously those are like you know movies that have been made in the past but i'm trying to think of another movie that i saw recently where it was like a remake but it wasn't like big at all from the 90s and they just got a different director and put a little bit more money to it and it was like oh yeah this is you know this is our you know interpretation of this or we're going to improve upon this and so i just feel like yeah and i would say i watch more tv than movies but like even with tv shows like i'm not a really big fan of like the newer sitcoms or any of that because a lot of the jokes are the same or the the settings or like the environment or the just the situations and scenarios that they're in the main characters are in. It's typically a lot of the same stuff. Um, I, I typically like really struggle to find things to watch. People always recommend me things, mm. but like I by you know, I'm, I get two episodes in. I'm like, all right, I'm out. Like, you know, like this is, it's not for me. I'm the same one. I can't, I can't finish anything. Um, the last show I watched, I definitely watch more TV than movies. I, I, I couldn't tell you the last movie I actually finished. Um, mm -hmm. I watch documentaries. I, I, I give, I, I'll, I do, documentaries and so i will finish documentaries but even those like are, are kind of few and far between the last uh the last tv show i, I watched was the queen's gambit mm -hmm. have you seen that mm -mm. i've heard a lot of good things about it though it's it's pretty good it's pretty good it, it, it sticks with you but you know the last show that i really loved that i watched was called halt and catch fire have you heard of that mm -mm. it's an amc show i want to say it premiered in 2013 2014 i think they did like four seasons um mm -hmm. and it's about the dawn of the personal computing era it starts and then it moves to california and it's about this small group of people who kind of invent the pc and all the different things that they have to go through and the different ways they miss out on the revolution the ways they kind of stimulate the revolution the ways they influence the revolution in personal computing it sounds weird but it's fascinating it was so 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 good mm -hmm. and it really stuck with me and did not anticipate because it's about passion. It's about having a dream and a vision and like going for what you want. And also the costs and consequences of going for what you want, the cost to your family, the cost to your, your emotions, yourself, your health, you know, um, and just what it takes, the sacrifices. I love that show. It just, uh, I loved it. And um, I really, I kind of want to watch it again, except I just canceled Netflix. So <laughs> watching it anytime soon.
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. <laughs> that's that's one thing I've noticed though, because you mentioned AMC and I'll, I'll definitely have to put on something I watch because AMC shows I've t- typically liked and then the uh, oh, oh, FX. I've liked a lot of the FX produced shows. Um, recently, Snowfall, I, I want to say it started in 2016 or 17, um, but it takes place in you know the 80s in South Central Los Angeles. And it talks about basically how crack was introduced, but it has all different angles. It has like, you know, the kingpin and he's running his gang here in Los Angeles, but it also talks about, and you know, he's a black, you know, black man in a, in a black neighborhood, but it also talks about the the struggles with, you know, the Latinos in the, in the community at the time and the race relations during that. It also talked about too, like how the CIA's involvement with everything too going on during the Nicaraguan war. I thought that was really interesting too, because you don't see that in like every TV show. So I just thought the different angles that they brought into that was really fun. And I think they're on season five now or four. Either season four or season five are coming out this year. I'm really excited for it. But that's a show that um, I've really, you know, hooked on to. And then as far as movies to go back to that, I, I guess I would say like that early 2010s was really I noticed like the shift of like the movies and quality movies because I remember really liking Interstellar. You know, Avatar was around that time um, as well as I'm trying to blank on another movie that I really took away but I, I think like for most of the 2010s though like 2013 and on there wasn't a whole lot of movies that like really stuck with me i really like parasite but even parasite is um an international film um right by yeah. korean korean director yeah. and um i just think like the the movies i like now are typically like the small indie movies or you know independent stuff that maybe necessarily don't make theaters or they do make theaters but they're relatively small and not a lot of people gain traction but i like the originality that they have in it yeah, absolutely. And that's like the one kind of, that's the one space where you can play, you know, is the independent cinema. And that's where I, that's where I spent, you know, nearly 10 years of my early journalism career was spent in those movie theaters, you know, in those festivals, like I covered Sundance like four times. I mean, I met those people. I, you know, watched their movies. I interviewed them part of my aversion to contemporary cinema is just burnout. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with the movies themselves at all. It's just having done nothing but watched independent movies for years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't want to, you know, play their importance of the work that goes into making those films, but I just don't have, I don't have it in me Mm -hmm. to sit through them anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I just don't. Um, Against the filmmakers, nothing against the creators. I just don't have it in me. Mm-hmm. TV's different. I feel like TV, you can kind of watch one episode and it's it's designed to keep you kind of in, engaged and involved. Whereas the movie, it's like you have to bear. And plus the other thing, and this is this is the creator's fault. Too many movies are too long. Mm. They're just, I don't need no one needs a three hour Marvel movie. It's not <laughs> yeah. necessary. I'm right. sorry. That is like an objective fact. We don't need that. You know what I'm saying? All right. I, I barely need 90 minutes of, of an indie movie. Like I just, I just burn out. I, I really, really burn out. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't mean to be a downer about it. It's just, it's just, just me, you know, it's just mm-hmm. strictly me. I, I really have a lot of respect for, you know, the people who put their hearts and soul as movies. And I, I wish, and I remember like, I, I really believed in it too. I watched a lot of those movies and I, I, I really loved a lot of those movies. I still do, but you know, I just found that I want to do other things. 
and I, so I, I do a lot of reading now and, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'll watch those TV shows every now and then, but like I canceled Netflix the other day cause it just sits there. I don't watch it. So mm-hmm. off it goes. There you go. All right. Yeah. Well, as we wrap things up for the interview, before we do wrap things up, I like to ask these like fun, introspective questions to kind of help the audience to get to know you a little bit better. So the first one I'll ask is if you could talk to any person in history, dead or alive or multiple people, who would you want to talk to? Ooh, um, I always default to Shakespeare because mm. I just want to know if he actually wrote that shit. <laughs> can i actually say that I swear. yeah yeah you can swear <laughs> i just i just want to know if he actually wrote that there because you know there is a lot of controversy about that in certain circles and uh it's a, a really stupid country <laughs> but it has consequence for me as someone who appreciates shakespeare and i i really just want to talk to the guy that wrote Macbeth. that's it i just and then um you know i think a a, a more kind of i think yeah i think that would be good for my intellect, as far as good for like the soul, I think I would love to talk to Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. Um, I've thought a lot about him in recent years. And I thought about, you know, that guy went to, to prison for 27 years. Mm-hmm. Four and a half. <laughs> and I, I try, I'm trying to think of anyone today, mm-hmm. anyone who would go to prison for 27 days mm-hmm. for an idea yeah he spent 27 years in prison and when he got out he still had you know at least a decade or half of solid public life was right. able to make a i mean just a, a measurable impact on 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 the life of people in south africa mm-hmm. and um and black people everywhere and mm-hmm. I think that as, you know, who, someone who, who hopes I can be an ally um, to black people and, 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 and uh, yeah, I have, I have a lot of questions for Nelson Mandela about like, mm-hmm. what do you, like, what, what should we do? Yeah. <laughs> Help. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Help, man. Yeah. Like, like, what do we do? <laughs> yeah. Like you, you with the person's idea, like what, aside from just like, you know, like what, why, and what can we do now? And like, what's, what's the right path forward, you know? And I think, you know, MLK would probably be someone that would be worth having a conversation with about on that, on that front as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Dell was already in prison by the time MLK really, you know, was at his peak. So yeah, either of those two, if I, if I could get like MLK on one side and Mandela at the other and like throw some problem, we do a podcast. Oh, that'd be fun. Well, just like, you know, <laughs> I think people would listen to that. What do you think? Oh yeah. Hell yeah. I would, I would <laughs> definitely tune in. <laughs> I like those two or yeah. three with Shakespeare as well. The, yeah. That angle. <laughs> oh my God. We get Shakespeare on there. He, do- he, he writes it all up, you know, he, yeah. <laughs> seriously, the guy that wrote Macbeth, man, I just, that, that play blows my mind. That's another one that just rewards repeat viewing report, repeat reading, whatever you want to say. It's a, it's fascinating. Okay. All right. Moving on to the next question. If you could be reincarnated to any animal, what would you want to be reincarnated as? Ooh, reincarnation as an animal. Mm, I would probably want to be something that was closer to the top of the food chain. So I don't have to, you know, go <laughs> like a human being to, you know, on the run, <laughs> but I, I would probably say, you know, I love bears. Mm. Like I, I, I just have, I just, I think bears are awesome, but um, I don't know if I'd really want to, uh, probably like an owl 
Is that mm. weird? I, I, I just, I, I love owls too. And owls are actually predators, you know? So, which isn't to say I want to be a predator. Like I don't like, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's yeah. like, Ooh, predators. Cool. I could be a predator now, but it's like, you know, at least I'm not going to be, you know, the bird who like my cat sitting here. She's like, she's out there looking at the birds. Like what can I get? Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't bird i want to be the owl yeah which looks cool first of all the owls are just awesome mm-hmm. and um and uh they just look like they just seen things yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah. and and they look cool they look like they've seen things and and they uh they just are so unique i just i just love them so probably an owl i probably want to be an owl okay yeah it's better to be the hunter than the hunted so that's exactly right yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would much rather be an owl than you know a uh I don't a know. field oh, mouse you, yeah well you know what would be cool <laughs> so, um a hummingbird i think hummingbirds mm. are fascinating but i don't know if I, now that i think about it and i say that loud, i was like Stu wants to be a hummingbird no <laughs> no, no look, i just i just think they're fascinating i think like bears yeah. you know of watching i think bears are the coolest animals like they're the coolest like on mm. like if we're talking about coolest like bears are the coolest animals mm. and then hummingbirds are up there i would say upper echelons of coolness you know mm-hmm. as and owls owls are cool owls yeah. are cool as well but like owls are cool in a way that i actually could see myself mm. like wanting to be whereas bears like I'm like you gotta hibernate yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hibernate. You're a hummingbird, like you gotta find food all the time. You're just always consuming calories, right? You're always yeah. consuming calories. You're flying so oh, much, yeah, all the time. Owls are just chilling, you know, and they're just like, look at me. <laughs> and like nothing else looks like an owl, right? Right, right. Okay. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Next question: If you could have any toppings on a pizza, what would they be? Well, my go-to toppings, I make pizza every Wednesday night at home and my go-to toppings are sliced tomato and mushrooms, which I know sounds boring, but bear with me because like I mentioned, I'm vegan, right? So I don't use cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, I will eat, um, bear with me. Okay. Bear with me. I swear this is delicious. And if you, okay. if I put a slice of this pizza down, you would love it. So <laughs> I slice up super firm tofu. I grate it up. I grate mm-hmm. it like you would grate cheese. Okay. Um, and it, it grates, it grates really well. And then I take what's called nutritional yeast. Do you know what a nutritional, AKA nooch it's called nooch. Haven't heard of it. So it's called nooch. Uh, and you take, it has kind of a, a salty kind of cheesy flavor. So it, it emulates or at least approximates cheese. It's got mm-hmm. a savoriness, a salty kind of savor. So you throw some nooch, some garlic salt from Trader Joe's and, um, on and some olive oil on mm. top of this uh grated super firm tofu and then you kind of toss it and it and then you put that as the cheese topping like the mm. i call it cheese but it's really just you know fake cheese yeah and then you throw that on there and it is amazing yeah it's way better than any of that packaged like processed fake cheese that you buy you know it's oh like yeah it's, it, it melts it's like it doesn't melt it's basically <laughs> just like you know um cashews coconut oil mm-hmm. no no just do the tofu nooch treatment oh it's like mama used to make so good <laughs> so there you good go. yeah. yeah i i actually have a few friends that are vegan and i'll occasionally go out to eat with them and go to vegan only restaurants and i don't know i've definitely opened up my it's opened up my eyes to the different options that they have and i know recently like we went to like a vegan week wings place but it was the it was cauliflower and they breaded it but like while you're eating it, it, it tastes like wings. Like it, you can't even taste the difference. It's pretty incredible. Like how they're able to do that. 
so much of what we associate with meat. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, meat has a texture. There's no question about that. But so much of what we associate with meat really just added flavors mm -hmm. and or um, preparation methods. So buffalo wings are actually a great example of that. Flavor that you get with buffalo wings and the experience you get from eating buffalo wings has nothing to do with the wing. Mm -hmm. It's all about the flavor and it's all about the, I mean, yes, you eat a wing, but like you can approximate that with cauliflower or some other, this thing called um, vital wheat gluten. It's all these weird names. We need to do better with that. That's vegans, you know, but um, it, you can, you can prepare that in a way that it, it emulates and, and comes pretty close to being the texture of, of chicken, you know, and, or poultry anyway. Um, impossible burgers. Have you heard of this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Impossible meats. The guy who made impossible meats, who invented that, his whole thing was no one is going to eat fake burgers unless it's better than an actual burger. Right. You know, it's just, you can have a veggie burger and that's a veggie burger is a veggie burger. Like if you really want to get people to stop eating for health and environmental reasons, so we can kind of down uh, or bring down and, and, and diminish the, the slaughter and the, and the anguish and the, 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 uh, the environmental effects mm -hmm. of cow farming. Um, we need to have an alternative that actually is better than cows. <laughs> right. Right. And so uh, brilliant theory and impossible. Does it like, I swear to God, their burgers, I, I, even though I wouldn't eat a, a beef burger now, like I prefer it to mm. what I used to have as a beef burger. I, I always have it on hand at home. I always make impossible. It's good for a burger. It's good for like tacos. It's good for whatever. It's excellent. You can okay. just, evening to it it's delicious they've, they've okay. cracked the code so yeah way better than it used to be but um yeah ultimately we should all just be eating more vegetables yeah that's what i've learned too <laughs> you know everything else is just processed foods everyone's like once what's well what's the equivalent of a of a burger like how can i how can i eat something that kind of mimics mm -hmm. you know meat it's like that's a great question that's fine especially if you're transitioning from you know meat eater to vegan but ultimately like we should all just be eating more bowls like just you know have a salad instead of a burger you yeah know? uh you know eat <laughs> that stuff's heavy grains you know yeah. like there's all kinds of stuff we can do anyway now i sound like kind of a a, a vegan zealot that people hate so I'll, just, <laughs> I'll shut up i'll stop all it's okay try the try the pizza topping you'll love it all right two more questions uh if you could if so if you were stranded on an island and food and water were provided what are the three things you'd like to bring to pass the time music mm -hmm. um i don't know to what extent you need me to be specific on that or how, no, you how can, what a collection I, you could bring an ipod that has all your favorite you know songs yeah i mean i i, I would just probably want a spotify subscription okay you know, a spotify premium uh okay. which is you know pound for pound um i have a multitude of subscription media subscriptions but i don't use anything like i use my spotify like i use it <laughs> all the time every day i use it every day uh all the time and I, I get so much bang for that buck. Yeah. I would say just take, give me a Spotify premium. And of course, you know, um, a device on which to listen to it. Okay. Um, so I guess, is that two things? Not, they can package it as one. Okay. All right. Um, need, I guess I'd probably want on the device that, uh, now I'm trying to kind of get more than <laughs> I, I, I get away with, you know, kind of uh, cross collaborating here. Um, 
I would say on the device on which I Spotify, I'd want probably a, a library subscription. Mm-hmm. So I could just read, you know, mm-hmm. um, eBooks. Um, I wouldn't want to take like a whole stack of actual p- paper books. I just, I, I like reading them. Come on. Yeah. Like, I just want to be able to download that shit. Yeah. And then um, what else? What else? Can I take my cat? Yeah. You can take your cat. Okay. Build, yeah. Yeah. I think I better take, I don't know who's going to take care of her. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. That's a solid three. And then the last question, if you could give any advice to your younger self, what would it be? Listen, 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 you got to listen. I, I, there's so many people I, I, I just, I heard mm-hmm. when I was growing mm-hmm. up, I didn't listen. I didn't listen. And, uh, there, there were, there were mistakes, totally avoidable mistakes that changed the course of my life because mm-hmm. I didn't listen to people. Damn. And, um, it's it, and not, and you know, for better or worse, like I think sometimes like, you know, nothing, nothing was so bad that, you know, it, it derailed my life, but there were mistakes I made that haunt me that, you know, I think everyone has these mistakes that if you just listened to someone <laughs> yeah. before you had made that mistake, you know, and this is what I do now as an advisor, you know, to kind of bring it full circle at the beginning of our conversation. I, I try and help students. The metaphor I use is avoid open manholes, like walk around the open manhole, like you see it right there. You know, it's there. And I'm there to say, listen, there's an open manhole right there. Why don't we step to the right, step to the left. You make the choice. You can go the direction you want, but just don't walk to that. Mm-hmm. Some people do it anyway. <laughs> you know, some people do it anyway. And I, I was one of those people. Um, and I, I didn't realize it at the time. You think mm-hmm. of it as being part of it as being independent but mm-hmm. in reality it was just being foolish and, mm-hmm. and, and myopic short-sighted, you know? So mm-hmm. I, my, my advice to myself, if I could go back would just be, Hey, you know, listen to people. You don't need to do what they say necessarily. You just, it, it, it's worth listening to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And um, being a journalist has really helped me get better at listening to people, both as a scholar and also just as a human being and yeah. hearing what people have to say, learning from what they have to say, because experience adds up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it would just be to listen and I would, you know, starting with this podcast, I'm going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to hear what, how it turns out. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. Thank you again for being a part of the show. Before you go, is there anything you'd like to promote, plug any websites or something like that? Statehornet.com, mm-hmm. the student news voice of Sacramento state since 1949. That is Long really, time. yeah, that's, that's really my you know and um i have a lot a lot of respect for the students who produce the state hornet who have for generations now produced the state hornet whether it's in print online everything in between i have so much you noah everything you've done to kind of get started the state hornet and help us out the state hornet gets to where we are today like we couldn't have done it without you <laughs> and your peers so thank you for everything and uh it's great to see where we're today it's great to reconnect with you i was really really thrilled to do this so thank you for inviting me of course. And thank you again for being a guest. That'll wrap it up. Boom. That's going to wrap it up for another episode of the My Mike and I podcast, episode 141. And before we go, big shout out to Generic Sports for letting me use his instrumental to play in the background. And shout out to Vince Correa for designing the My Mike and I logo that you are seeing in your screen. Also, be sure to check out the Instagram page, too. He helps out a lot with the graphics that go there. I like to also post some video snippets some audio snippets other pictures that we take you know if we get to record a person with a a guest or so so yeah be sure to check it out at my period mike and period i on instagram at underscore noah alvarez on twitter 
two best places to get in hold of me be on the podcast feedback on the podcast all that kind of good stuff and never stop seeking knowledge continue to chase your dreams not checks and the last message man before i go and sign off the stock market thing is crazy um i for those of you who are curious i'm not gonna i'm gonna make you guys <laughs> do your own homework and research on what exactly happened um but it, it's a big turning point i think it's something to watch out for the and how i don't even know how to say like the higher ups handle this and i think a lot of people are angry and a lot of people are upset and a lot of people have been upset on how things have been ran and it just shows another i guess it's another flexing of the people who are in power their amount of power that they have over us and every single one of us but yeah like i said I encourage you to look up the reasons why gamestop blackberry nokia are trading look up hedge funds look up their relation um and like i said man just stay knowledgeable i wouldn't even say stay woke just stay knowledgeable read up on stuff don't always trust what you're watching read up on different things use different platforms and be a proper little journalist all right i'm rambling now i'm gonna sign off this is noah alvarez the host of the mike and i podcast signing off till next time